content. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Now, two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. morning everyone welcome to another edition of saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour i am reese boyd local attorney here in myrtle beach with the firm of davis and boyd attorneys at law i'm your host for saturday morning coffee thank you for tuning in this morning as we help you get your saturday morning off to the uh to the bright start that you deserve beautiful morning out on the uh grand strand hope everybody's doing okay this morning it's a big, uh, busy week here along the Grand Strand. We're um, going to try to recap it, unpack it for you as best we can this morning here on Saturday Morning Coffee. Thank you for tuning in, joining us for the show. At Saturday Morning Coffee, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee, and join us as we talk about the news, current events, all that's happening in your world, and there is a lot uh, going on. We talk about all the things that we think you need to know. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about uh, limited government, lower taxes, more freedom, and last but not least, great coffee, because life is too short to drink bad coffee. And uh, we also invite you to join us on the program. We'd love to hear from you. love to have you join the discussion. You can reach us on the call-in line at 843-903-2945. You can also reach us on the PCRX text line. That uh, text line number is 843 843- Seven nine eight eight two five five. That's seven nine eight talk. Eight four three seven nine eight eight two five five. You can also tweet me your comments if you are a Twitterer. You can tweet me. The call sign is at Reese Boyd. That's R E E S E B O Y D. Email your comments as well. You can email those comments to Reese Boyd S M C at Gmail dot com. But we uh, do invite you to join the program. And I had a couple of. Uh, calls this week from uh, listeners who indicated that uh, seven to nine uh, on Saturday mornings they're enjoying the show but they're not inclined to call in a a few folks have called me at the office to talk about the show we welcome your calls at the office to talk about legal legal issues legal issues that you face love to help you with those but you're also welcome to call to talk about the show and other issues anything that's on your mind we're uh, we're there uh, during normal business hours, Monday through Friday. The number at Davis and Boyd Attorneys at Law is 843-839-9800. We'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear your thoughts on the show if uh, you'd rather call me there. And again, the dial-in number here at the studio uh, for, the top, for the talk line is 843-903-2945. And text your comments to us at the, uh, at the PCRX text line. That number, again, is 843-798-TALK. That's 843-798-8255. Got a great show coming up for you today. A lot going on in the state, in the uh, in the city, in the town, in the world. Uh, just much to talk about. We'll help you guys uh, unpack uh, what, what, what we see happening. And, uh, of course, it's a primary day here in South Carolina, Democratic uh, primary underway. Uh, also, ordinarily would be an, a Republican primary primary today if we were 
having a Republican primary today, just for the record. Uh, I think we should have had a Republican primary today. That's what the rules uh, suggest to me should have happened. But uh, for uh, other reasons that we can discuss, if y'all are interested, let me know. We uh, did not have a Republican primary today. Of course, there is Operation uh, Chaos underway. Some some Republicans are convinced that uh, they should go out and vote in the Democratic primary. Personally, uh, I'd like to see Republicans uh, sit sit this one out. Uh, I'd like to see Democratic turnout uh, as low as possible. As I mentioned on the Liz show, I was uh, helping Liz yesterday. We were talking about this very thing. We were kind of conflicted about it going back and forth. And I think uh, one of the things that would just uh, make us feel really good about being Republicans if uh, the Democratic turnout was extremely low. And and there were several comments that were made um, in the in the punditry and the commentary and the news about uh, crossover Republican voting, probably not likely to move the needle uh, much one way or the other. But we'll see what happens. Interesting, uh, interesting question. Glenn, did, are you uh, are you uh, planning to participate in Operation Chaos? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely good morning, Reese. How are you? Morning, Glenn. How you doing? Good, man. The coffee's really good today because you, we had such a busy week, you and I. I know. We've had a very... I just I told Liz yesterday it's starting to feel a little bit like Groundhog Day around here. <laughs> it is. Um, absolutely. What are you brewing this morning? Uh, today, I am back to Costco. Um, back to the Costco. Gotta love my Costco, guys. I mean... You gotta love yeah. Costco. You gotta love Costco. Really do. It's... Um, it's uh, I love Costco because I go there about once a week and just kind of stock up on a few things. But mm-hmm. their stuff is really good. It, they're high quality. Yeah. I, you know, spending 35 years in the grocery business, uh, Reese, I know quality. I know good customer service and I know happy employees. And right yeah. there, you've got happy employees. Oh, yeah. You can tell there's a there's a certain mood in uh, in Costco that I enjoy. It it sort of makes it fun to uh, to shop. Mm hmm. Uh, Andy the Thompson, Andy the Thompson, Andy, Andy <laughs> the bass player, ch- uh, chiming in on the uh, on the uh, text line, saying it's uh, coffee time, tax return time, and uh, feels like Groundhog Day for uh, Andy. So Andy, good luck with all that. He's always doing taxes. But I think he's an accountant, I, I a CPA. So. Yeah. Uh, but that is off the PCRXcomputers.com text line. Yeah. So Andy, thanks for chiming in. Uh, thanks for joining in on the show and. Um, we invite the rest of you to uh, chime in. Later in the show, we'll have a guest uh, with us. Uh, um, we've got uh, a lot to talk about. Some of the things we've been uh, focused much lately on, some some federal-level stuff, stuff going on with the campaign, and um, other things that have been happening at the national level. Uh, everybody's been a little bit distracted by the, uh, by the impeachment and everything that we've had to deal with there. Uh, focusing today on a, on a couple of state issues, we're going to speak with Ashley Landis. Ashley is with the South Carolina Policy Council in Columbia. The Policy Council, don't know if you uh, are familiar with those folks, they do great work. Um, they keep up, uh, try to keep tabs on what's going on uh, with your state government in Columbia, try to keep up with where the uh, problems are, waste, inefficiency, things that uh, none of us would like to see, and uh, keep us in the... Uh, in the know about those issues. So they're doing really important work. They uh, publish a website uh, and uh, various white papers throughout the year. Their website is called uh, The Nerve. And uh, it's, I think the tagline for The Nerve is where bad government gets exposed. And they just do a great work. There are several reporters there that uh, Rick Brundrett and others who do really great work reporting uh, for The Nerve. And all that's all funded by the South Carolina Policy Council. So Ashley Landis, the director of the Policy Council is gonna be joining us in the second hour of the show. So we hope you guys will stick around for that. Should be a very interesting uh, discussion. We're going to be talking about um, the current uh, 
Santee Cooper discussion, the discussion going on in, in the legislature about what to do uh, with our state-owned utility, which is uh, Santee Cooper. Also, uh, further discussion about just various uh, things going on in state government where your, your tax dollars may not be being spent as wisely as you would like to see them spent. Uh, one of the things that the nerve tracks and uh, is interesting to keep tabs on is how many state government employees are making $100,000 annually or more? Quite a few employees have uh, joined that club lately. That number is growing. And uh, quite a few employees uh, have had significant uh, raises this year. So we're going to just uh, touch on that as well. But we're looking forward to having Ashley on the show. So stick around for that. And a lot going on. There's uh, obviously it's primary day. We've got some clips from the uh, primary trail. Uh, we had a debate here in South Carolina this week. Democratic candidates uh, going at one another. Another messy debate uh, following up on the Las Vegas debate, which we talked about last week. So a lot going on. Very interesting stuff. And um, and uh, a lot of polling out there sort of uh, indica- indicative of a Joe Biden uh, win. I think uh, probably is going to be uh, Joe's day today in South Carolina. We'll see what happens. It's been um, an interesting uh, situation where, uh, you know, Joe's kind of uh, uh, got, all his, got, got all his cards out on the table. This is a make or break uh, day for him. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll be interested to see how uh, it works out for Uncle Joe. And he said some interesting things on the campaign trail in South Carolina. We'll get to that. It uh, seems to be a bit of a pandering contest among these candidates, but we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that. So stick around with us for more Saturday morning coffee. A lot going on, a lot to talk about. Thanks for joining us, uh, and we'll get to it after the break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Don't leave town. I was right. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour now two hours long that's a little hugh masakela for you to get you uh, rolling on your saturday morning you know there's a little cowbell trauma going on <laughs> on the uh, liz show glenn we've had yeah. some we've had, we've had some pushback on the uh, on the cowbells i hope uh, i hope our listeners can appreciate a little hugh masakela <laughs> this morning I'm speechless. Yeah, yeah. We had to, we, there was some serious cowbell pushback. We had, you know, yeah. when Liz was out, uh, we had quite a few uh, comments. I'm I'm not going to belabor the point because yeah. Liz might be listening. But yeah. there were there were quite a few uh, listeners who chimed in with uh, relief that they, we were given the cowbell a break. We gave the cowbell a, a much deserved break last week. Well, it got a lot of exercise uh, in previous yeah. weeks. It, so. did. It, is, it had been worked hard. It had been worked hard. Yeah. Um, again, folks, you're listening to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and I am your host, Reese Boyd, a local attorney here in town with the firm of uh, Davis and Boyd, your guide on this uh, expedition into the news, current events, politics, all the things that we think you need to know. A um, lot going on this week, as we said. Um, one of the things we wanted to, to touch on is the uh, debate, the campaign uh, 
the debate uh, here in South Carolina, the campaign trail, uh, Democratic candidates rolling through town, uh, literally rolling through town. We actually had some, we had a, a socialist uh, encampment here yeah. in town for a while. Any, um, any, anybody, uh, I'd be curious to know if uh, any of our listeners, I'd love to hear from you. If any of our listeners, uh, A, went to the Bernie Sanders uh, rally, would love to hear your thoughts if you if you attended the rally. And also, secondly, if any of our listeners, I'd be curious to know this, Glenn, if any of our listeners are sincerely voting in the Democratic uh, primary today, would love to hear from you. Love to hear your comments. We're not going to ridicule, ridicule you too badly. No, not at all. There's no. the uh, you know the peace the the priest uh, penitent privilege applies. I think in this context, if you want to call in and confess, uh, we'll be uh, happy to hear from you. And, and I it, think of us as the right. We're the we're the gentle ones. Yeah, we're the meta. We're we the, really are we're the easy medicine. I mean, if you look at yeah. what's going on, yeah. we are. The, and a couple of um, Sanders comrades came to my door. Um, I wasn't home, but my cameras alerted me that somebody was on my property. Oh, you had some Bernie Bros. I did, and they left me back some literature yeah. that is now being in the, it's in the recycle bin. Yeah. Um, but one of them had a camera around his neck. So I don't know if there was a pictures, a chance to have a picture that you're a Bernie supporter. Body cam. Yeah, and, and if I was the Bernie guys, I actually know two other friends that were in different neighborhoods mm-hmm. that had part of the comrades, you know, the Bernie guys uh, spreading the word. Comrades in arms. And, and honestly, if I was going to suggest anything, I would say hit the apartment buildings because that's where you're going to find most of the young people that possibly might have been bamboozled by Bernie. Uh, yeah. I think that's a good bet. That or, you know, well, there's some uh, there's some other places we could suggest they look, but we don't want to offend anybody, so we'll just leave it there. Um, the other interesting, well, you know, and the socialists uh, were encamped, in fact, at the convention center uh, one day. Glenn, you got that clip from, this is the mayor of Florence. Um, You've got that one under Bernie Sanders. Yeah, have you got the Bernie? Have you got the Bernie Sanders? It's a short clip from the mayor of Florence getting the crowd uh, whipped up. See if you can find that one for us, Mr. Producer. Yes. All right, Myrtle Beach. All right. How does it feel to be a bunch of radicals? Huh? Yeah. How's it feel, Myrtle Beach? A bunch of, a bunch of revolutionaries. Woo. Bunch of socialists here in Myrtle Beach. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the mayor of uh, Florence, who was one of the uh, lead-up uh, warm-up speakers wow. introducing uh, Bernie Sanders at the uh, at the at the Feel the Burn event rally uh, this week, right here in Myrtle Beach. Just very interesting to. Uh, <laughs> Baffles me, man. It yeah, just baffles me. It baffles me that there are people who get excited about that. Y'all, where do you look? Where do you look in the world? Look at Venezuela. Where, you know, uh, yep. to quote that famous line uh, from Pretty Woman, who does it work out for? You know, who does it work out for? Did it work out for the Soviet Union? Did it work out for Chile? Did it? Is it working out for Venezuela? Um, tell me, please, where socialism or communism uh, essentially the same. You know, we, we use those terms interchangeably, but I, I, I like the term communist because it reminds me of just how vile uh, the doctrine is. But the doctrine, the, 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 the theory, just doesn't work. And history has shown that time and time again. Look at the communist regimes throughout history that have come and gone, that are now on the ash heap of history, and yet we seem to have a few young people, at least, who are intrigued by the idea, uh, who are interested in, in the ideas of, of, the Bur- uh, of Bernie and AOC and her ilk, and who seem to want to give it a go. It's just, 
it's baffling to me. It, it, it says to me, A, we're not doing a very good job of educating our young people, uh, particularly on college campuses. But uh, it reflects just an unbelievable lack of, uh, of real understanding uh, of how the world works. And, again, it makes me wonder if we're doing a good job raising our kids. But um, if you just look at, our, at the, the selection that the Democrats have, yeah. I don't know in November if you're going to be looking for a voting booth or a bridge. Because it is hopeless. Well, and it was, you know, it's really, it was really strange when you see Klobuchar. And, and I have to say, you know, I don't, uh, Pete, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg would be an awful president. I yes. would, you know, but on that stage, he sounded rational. You know, he sounded r- actually standing next to the other guys. Yeah. 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 He, he actually said some things that, that <clears throat> sounded uh, significantly rational during the uh, South Carolina debate. And I thought, you know. The problem here is that they're trying to their lane is the moderate lane. Mm -hmm. And and that's the same lane that Biden was peddling in. And the theory is you cobble together, obviously, a coalition of voters within the party who can get you the number of delegates you need to win the nomination. The problem, Glenn, with the Democratic Party is they've been practicing identity politics. They've been they've been they've been practicing this divisive uh, brand of entitlement, indignant, uh, you know, you owe me politics Mm -hmm. for so long that they have, in effect, driven everybody to the edges. You know, where is the moderate wing? Where is the moderate base of the Democratic Party? It's essentially gone. It's 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 the you know, it's the one third of the party that no longer controls the outcome of these elections and so if you're going to win the nomination you have to play to the radical uh, left and that's where two-thirds of the that's where two-thirds of the voters are and that's because the democratic party over the last two or three decades has essentially radicalized itself and they've pushed everything out uh, to the edge and they've engaged in identity politics and as a result uh, there's very little moderate middle for the moderate candidates to fight over anymore. So in, for somebody like a Joe Biden to win, they've got to monopolize the middle, which is shrinking, and grab a few votes uh, from the outside. And and that's why I think uh, Biden has really struggled. Biden has created his own issues. But uh, th- it's very difficult now for a, a truly moderate uh, Democratic candidate to win and, and the Democratic Party has essentially done that to themselves, but you obviously see in the in the reaction of the establishment to the Bernie Sanders uh, march that they don't want that. You know, they don't want it. They don't want a communist uh, yeah. to be their nominee. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, problem that they're in. Meanwhile, um, Joe's out on the campaign trail, continuing to pander. I've decided, uh, <laughs> Glenn. You know, you know what they need. They need a the Democratic Party's ma- uh, mascot should be a bear. Okay. It should be a bear, and we'll call it the pander bear. Yeah. And it's yeah. not a panda bear. It's a pander bear because that seems like uh, all they were doing this week was a lot of concerted pandering. Um, there's a really funny video of Tom Steyer dancing on stage <laughs> Come at, on. at Allen University <laughs> uh, rapping. It just and It's unbelievable, and you, you can't say the words that are in the song on the radio, unfortunately. And I'm thinking to myself, Who's he trying to kid, you know? And did you not learn anything from Warren dancing on stage? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Come on. You know, really. 
So it's uh, an interesting thing. Have you got? Let's. Uh, Biden, of course, has got some interesting uh, clips that he gave us uh, this week. More, uh, more uh, interesting insight into the the way Biden uh, is not prepared to be president. Uh, roll that. Roll the Biden clips if you've got those, Mr. Producer. Well, um, Reese, did you send me a a blank? You said repeatedly on the show. I think it's three times now. You said that during a visit to South Africa. Uh, to visit Nelson Mandela, which I know is a very memorable visit for you, that you were arrested when you were there. Your campaign has come out since and said, no, 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 you were separated from other people at the airport. But you did say arrest three yeah. times. What, why? Well, what, what I meant to say was I, I got off that. Look, I, I strongly, strongly, strongly opposed the tar- apartheid. I was one of the leaders. And if you doubt it, go on JoeBiden.com and look at the exchange between George Schultz and me and the foreign relations. Uh, not answering the and question, the Joe. Deal. I was <laughs> that wasn't a black the question. delegation, the CDC, the, the, the Congressional Black Caucus. They had me get off a plane. The Afrikaners got on in their short pants and their guns, let me off for, led me off first and moved me in a direction totally different. I turned around and everybody, all the entire black delegation was going another way. I said, I'm not going to go in that door that says white only. I'm going with them. They said, you're not. You can't move. You can't go with them. And they, and they kept me there until finally I decided they were clear I wasn't going to move. And so what they finally did, they said, okay, they're not going to make the congressional delegation go through the black door. They're not going to make me go through the white door. They went, took us up, my memory serves me, through a baggage claim area up to a restaurant, and they cleared out a restaurant. I felt strongly about apartheid, one of the reasons we were there. And after, long after this, when Nelson Mandela was freed and came to the United States, he came to my office. He was one of the most incredible men I ever met. He sat down in my office, thanked me thanked me for trying to all the work I did on apartheid. And so that's that's the context of it. When I okay. said arrested, I meant I was not able to I was not able to move. Cops, Afrikaners would not let me go with them, made me stay where I was. I guess I, I wasn't arrested. Short I was answer, I was, I was not, not arrested. able to move where I wanted to go. So I, I do have one question. When this is all said and done. So, wow. Short answer. You know, and he also said he at a, at a campaign rally in Sumter, that interview was given while he was in Sumter. He also said that he looks forward to appointing a black woman to the Supreme Court. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly uh, excited to have a, a Supreme Court justice who is a black woman. But it just it, it strikes me as particularly odd when he's doling out seats on the Supreme Court to particular people based on their race and i'm thinking do people not see through this this is so transparently um uh just pandering in the extreme which is he made a he made a statement if my memory serves me Mm -hmm. during that yeah and then um didn't he say that he was looking forward to appointing the first african-american to the senate or to the he actually misspoke yeah Yeah, he was he said he said multiple times that he's looking forward to appointing a um a female african-american to the supreme court would be the first but yes in that particular in the in the most recent version of that uh pandering uh exercise he actually stated the senate Senate, which is actually technically uh not his authority and again he doesn't know where he really is Uh, he also said this week that he was in north carolina (laughs) and uh when in fact he was in south carolina joe i feel so sorry for him i can't wait i can't wait till he he tours east virginia yeah (laughs) i'm looking forward to his tour of east virginia for that primary all right folks uh more to come stick with us a lot going on uh jeff pete will thanks for the text we'll uh, talk about those after the break stick with us we'll be right back with more saturday morning coffee 
Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. Take a quick look at the weather here today. Uh, if you're heading out early to vote in the primary, grab a Coke. If you're headed to the polls early, you're going to need a Coke, but by later this afternoon, you can ditch it for a jacket. Today, we're climbing into the low 50s, but regardless of your Saturday plans, the forecast looks nice for this afternoon. Tomorrow, you only get a sunny day with a high of 53. If you're traveling around the area near Barefoot Landing, you've got a 5K run that starts at 9 o'clock this morning uh, at Lulu's, so be careful around the on the road around uh, Barefoot Landing today. Now back to the Saturday Morning Coffee with Reese Boyd. Thank you, Glenn. Good to be with y'all. I uh, appreciate y'all tuning in for Saturday Morning Coffee. Feeling it still. It's, uh, what time is it? 737, <laughs> 737 on yeah. your Saturday morning. Thank y'all for tuning in this morning for Saturday Morning Coffee. Uh, we're talking just before the break. We were talking about uh, various uh, events on the campaign trail this week in South Carolina. Of course, today is campaign day, and of course, there is uh, Operation Chaos underway. Some Republicans out uh, attempting to influence the outcome of the uh, of the election. We'll see what happens. It does appear that the election is going to be um, a, a win for Biden. I think the question now becomes how big. Is the uh, is the margin of victory going to be, um, Bernie? As uh, as I think the South Carolinians, as most of us anticipated, as South Carolinians have taken a hard look at uh, Bernie. He has been in free fall in the polls this week, so I think the uh, courtship period, the honeymoon's over, and it never really was going to last in South Carolina. If you think about it, y'all, once uh, once people really take a hard look at Bernie and what some of his lieutenants are saying and some of the things that Bernie has said himself over the years, many things that he said over the years, uh, it wasn't really, um, in my mind, much of a mystery that uh, that Bernie would slip back, uh, just a question of how much. Uh, Jeff, the guitar builder, uh, chiming in, and he indicated uh, that uh, there's a uh, building, an inc- what is it? he's got what? A 22 that Joe may be building an in, an incompletion case. I'm I'm not following you, Jeff, for trial if he has taken that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Uh, anyway, so uh, I'm not sure who he's. I guess he's referring to Joe Biden. Uh, Pete chiming in that <laughs> Barnum Bailey is the sponsor of the Democratic debates, and I think that's absolutely correct, Pete. I, I'm now it's all starting to get it's, it's coming into focus for me. I'm, I'm understanding many of the comments that I heard. Yeah, thanks for your comments, Pete. There on the PCRXcomputers.com. I thought Jerry Springer sponsored the last yeah, one. Yeah. Well, I, we uh, we were talking about it on Friday on Liz's sh- on the Liz show that uh, on the Liz Calloway Morning Show that it would have actually lent an air of dignity. Uh, to the South Carolina debate, if uh, if uh, if uh, Mr. Springer, if Jerry had been on the stage, he would have perhaps uh, lent a little bit more dignity to some of the some of the debate comments that were made. Will <clears throat> Will uh, another of our deplorables uh, texting and saw a report that Bernie's entourage required three Gulfstream jets to get them to Charleston, but the, of course he still expects all of us to drive a Prius. Uh, drive a Prius to save uh, the environment for Greta Thunberg. And, of course, uh, that's absolutely correct. 
you know, one of the uh, campaign rallies that I saw in New Hampshire, they were giving Bernie a hard time because he was going to get on a Gulf Stream to fly to California. He's like, well, I'm, I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to walk to California. So, of course, uh, Bernie uh, has great ideas for the rest of us, but still uh, intends to uh, live life the way he uh, seeks to live it out. Uh, Robert H. Uh, texting in also another deplorable on our PCRX text line. Robert, thanks for checking in. And uh, interesting, uh, another comment that was made uh, on the uh, campaign trail uh, this week was by our good friend Mike Bloomberg, who had an interesting comment about uh, guns. And he uh, was uh, suggesting, suggesting that uh, us average Americans are placed at higher risk of death or injury uh, by having a gun in our home. He said this on Wednesday of this week. He said, uh, Bloomberg said, you don't want to have guns. You know, you may, y'all may think you want to have guns, but according to Mike Bloomberg, you do, you do not. You don't want to have guns, uh, said Mayor Bloomberg. If you have a gun in your house, you're something like 22 times as likely to get killed with a gun. He said there's domestic violence, there's, there's children playing, there's accidents, and uh, folks, you'll never um, hear me suggest anything other than people should be extremely careful and very responsible with firearms. But, of course, uh, the issue is not whether uh, Mr. Bloomberg or anybody else thinks you want one. Uh, that's not the question. The question is, what is your right? And it is your right under the Second Amendment uh, to possess and, and to own firearms. And there are reasons, obviously, why the Second Amendment is there. Um, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't for hunting. It wasn't for recreation. It was for uh, your absolute right. And in, in when all bets are off uh, that you have the un, uh, unadulterated, unmitigated right to keep and bear arms uh, for your own use, for your own protection. And again, uh, the Second Amendment is very clear and it doesn't have any of the qualifiers that some of the modern uh, theorists and legal minds would want to put on there. I noticed uh, in a fairly recent story earlier this month in the Sun News, there was discussion about how O'Ree County police are working to improve uh, 911 response times. Well, and they're doing a great job, and our hats off uh, go to the, um, to the department for its efforts in that area. But for O'Ree County police, even for priority calls, the, uh, the uh, average wait time uh, is 11 minutes. So it, after you dial 911, on average, it takes 11 minutes for the police to arrive, and that's for priority calls, such as robberies or shootings. For all other calls, the average response time for the Ori County Police Department is 14 minutes. And, you know, when I read that, my thought is very simple. If someone is in your home, if someone has come into your home, has broken in, they're armed, 11 minutes is an eternity, folks. Yeah. 11 minutes. I mean, game over. Yep. Game over, dude. Yep. 11 minutes is forever when there's somebody in your house with yeah. a gun. And listen, I don't mean that comment to be derogatory. Um, I, don't, I do not mean that uh, comment to be derogatory to the Ori County Police Department. You know, Ori County is an extremely large uh, geographical area. Largest in the state. Yeah. Large in the, and, and one of the largest counties, I think maybe perhaps the largest county east of the Mississippi. There, okay. there may be one or two counties anywhere uh, east of the Mississippi that are larger than Ori County, but we're in the top. I know we're in the top five. So it's a very large county. It's always funny to me, Glenn, when I leave my house in Merle's Inlet and head north uh, to 95 and you wind up going up, I go up through Fair Bluff, Tabor City, that, you know, it takes a long time when you drive 
from Merle's Inlet up through Surfside to Conway. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. Oh, it, it is a, you spend a lot of time driving, and you're still in Horry County. Right. So, um, and, and by the way, the same story that uh, gave the uh, response times for the Horry County Police Department also noted that uh, in uh, municip- uh, communities like Conway and Myrtle Beach, which have response times around around five minutes uh, and uh, actually slightly under four, five minutes for um, uh, Myrtle Beach, nationwide police response time average about six minutes. So there are other areas of the county where the response time is less. But goodness gracious, if you have somebody in your home who is uh, not <laughs> welcome, who has come in on an uninvited, they're an intruder and they are armed, 11 minutes is an eternity. Yeah. And that's when the, the, the classic moment when your right uh, to own and bear arms, and not only to have that right, but to have exercised it, to have a weapon in your home that you have uh, trained on, that you know how to use, that you can use it, uh, not just that you can use it safely, but that you can use it safely under moments of high stress. Yeah. Um, that's critical. And so uh, that all is, uh, all is there for a reason, and it's a, it's, a, it's a key fundamental right that the framers gave us, and, and we have to stand up for it and, and protect it and defend it. Um, again, key question, I think, for today is not what, um, what will happen. It's pretty clear that uh, Uncle Joe is going to win, but the question will be uh, how much. So there's some interesting polling data that's come in. We'll talk a little bit about that after the break. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about this morning on Saturday Morning Coffee. A lot going on. Give you a little bit of a coronavirus update in the next in the next segment, and uh, even even more to come after that. So stick with us. Don't leave town. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. Eight four three seven nine eight. Talk Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk ninety four point five. Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk ninety four point five. everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee i'm your host reese boyd local attorney here in town with the firm of davis and boyd attorneys at law thanks for sticking with us for saturday morning coffee as we help you get your saturday morning going choose life um it's a um Beautiful Saturday morning out there, 7.50 a.m. on your Saturday morning. A little on the chilly side, as Glenn was sharing with you earlier in the weather update. Just before the break, we were talking about today's uh, primary day. Haven't had any callers invited. Um, I think we've got, uh, well, maybe we've got, uh, looks like we've got one caller on the line. Glenn, we'll get to that. Uh, that's our good friend Ferris, I believe. I don't think Ferris has voted in the primary as a Democrat, though. But we invited our Democratic listeners, if we have any, to uh, chime in. And uh, give us their thoughts on their choice. Let us know who they're supporting and why. Well, he's on the line. He's on the line. But uh, I wanted to share real quickly before we get to the call, I wanted to share the uh, results of the um, polling. There's, um, you know, there's quite a few different polls that were released this week. 
And uh, one of them is, uh, of course, there's a little bit of a divergence between the um, the uh, various polls that are out there. One of the um, one of the polls is a change research poll um, uh, commissioned by the Charleston Post and Courier. And it polled the Palmetto State uh, voters from February 23rd to February 27, uh, resulting in a, in a, in a lead, uh, but not insurmountable, lead for Joe Biden at 28%, with Sanders close on his heels at 24%, Tom Steyer at 16%, Elizabeth Warren with 12%, and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 11%, Tulsi Gabbard with, Tulsi Gabbard with 5 and Amy Klobuchar with four percentage points um so interestingly enough the uh, the split there between biden and sanders is uh actually within the margin of error on that poll more recent polling however uh in the well actually other polling came out uh about the same time monmouth university poll conducted slightly earlier february 23rd through 25th put biden at 36 percent and and Sanders at 16 percent. So a 20 percent uh, split there between Biden and, um, and between Biden and Sanders. And then more recently uh, in the most recent polling that I've seen is uh, the poll by a political consultant, uh, the Trafalgar Group, Robert Cahaley, a highly respected uh, pollster in Atlanta who uh, who really has his finger on the pulse of uh, South Carolina politics and has issued some very um, prescient polling in past races now says that uh, his polling results as of yesterday, again, affirming in their opinion that Biden is going to be the victor by a wide margin. And he's predicting a 20 uh, percent split between uh, Biden and Sanders and thinks that uh, Biden will win by that significant margin. So it'll be interesting to see what actually happens um, and again, would invite the folks. And if we if we have any Democratic listeners, I don't know that we do. But if you're out there and you're voting in the Democratic primary and you want to tell us why you voted for who you voted for, we'd love to hear from you. Um, but it looks as though it's going to be Biden's uh, Biden's victory today. And, you know, we had said on this program, I had said on this program uh, over the last couple of weeks that Biden was a dead man walking. And if he didn't if he did not uh, do very well and win South Carolina, by a sizable margin that it was um, that it was over for him. And interestingly enough, you know, I wasn't certainly the only person saying that Chris Matthews, various other pundits on on their side of the aisle uh, uh, chimed in and said, you know, look, it's over. You know, it's over. It's uh, Bernie's going to be the guy. So if Biden wins uh, handily today, as it appears he will, and if he if he wins by a 20 percent margin or more, it will be interesting to see what that uh what that translates into on Super Tuesday, nationwide polling still indicates that uh, Uncle Joe's got an uphill battle. So we'll <laughs> Did see. Did you what... take uh, a dead man walking from the Steven Seagal movie years ago? The Jamaican necktie guy is like, <laughs> he's a dead man walking <laughs> man, man, and he doesn't even know it. He's a dead man walking <laughs> man. He's, uh, yeah, actually, that was not my uh, that was not my source, but okay. I'll take that. That's yeah. a pretty good reference. We'll, we'll 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 claim that one. We'll use that one. So. Uh, and uh, there was one, actually, one other poll, Glenn, that I was going to share. What uh, my stack is not in order here this morning. Bear with me, folks. And uh, but it'll be interesting to uh, see what happens. And I think um, we do have a caller, Ferris. Uh, we're uh, wondering if you voted in the Democratic primary. So uh, let us know what's. Uh, how can we get uh, Ferris? Here? He's up. Oh, he's up. Ferris, you with us? Uh, uh, yes. 
Yeah, there he is. Did you vote in the morning, you, morning, morning, Ferris. How are you? Good, Ferris. Fully checking in from Charleston, South Carolina. Did you, did you attend the uh, Trump debate? Oh, wouldn't miss it for the world. Have you ever been to one, Glenn? Uh, I have not, but that's um, uh, on the bucket list. Yeah, it's we, really just one of the most exhilarating experiences you can imagine. But we do appreciate having uh, a lawyer, especially uh, with an advanced degree, as a host on the show. It's very valuable to have insights from someone such as yourself. And uh, I should also mention uh, Stuart Axelrod, because lawyers, uh, anybody with a Ph.D. or a doctoral degree brings uh, a very valuable thing to the airwaves. I would, however... Uh, a little disappointed that we don't hear uh, that my brothers and sisters are so fired up as to call in and participate in the show because it's the Vox Populi, what the Romans called the voice of the people, sure. that we really want to hear on in talk radio. We know what the lead stories are. We know what the we, you know we're glued to this stuff now. Everybody's drawn, and we're hearing it now for the seventeenth time. But uh, yes, the answer to your question is yes. I'll be voting in the uh, primary today, but. Uh, 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 strictly from the standpoint of Operation Chaos, because, see, what Operation Chaos gives us is an opportunity to play by the rules of our opponent who has nearly defeated and destroyed us. If we don't start fighting by their tactics, we will we'll forever lose what we had here. And so Operation Chaos is just another method that they would use and, and whenever you think of the many things that they've used to destroy us and destroy the morals of our children in the schools and bring in such things as dragqueenstoryhour.org. I'll repeat that, dragqueenstoryhour.org. Is that a, is that a, a website, a real of website? Of course it is. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. And that's what we have. That's why we need the voice of the people. Mm -hmm. So that, because the host is, 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 you know, he's a busy professional, right? He's a, He's a good lawyer, and he's t tied up, but he can't get be below the surface to things like uh, this, which are so important, and that's why we've been defeated. And and uh, I'm going to say it, we've been destroyed by the left, and we're just hanging by a thread here. So uh, I'm voting today. I'm going to vote as many times as I can. It's easy to vote many times in South Carolina and everywhere. It's another thing that, that the people are unaware of. Go to blackboxvoting.org. All right. Repeat. Well, listen, Ferris, we appreciate the call. We appreciate your uh, expressing your views on Operation Chaos. I don't, I, I don't necessarily um, agree with everything. I, I do actually agree with the idea that we do need to adopt the, uh, the, the, the tactics that the left has used uh, at, from time to time successfully. Here's the issue with um, here's the issue with uh, the closed primary situation. You know, we, we have complained. Many of us have complained many years about the fact that uh, the crossover voting skews the uh, skews the outcome of the election and Democrats, of course, have done that. And I and I get the fact that we can do that. Um, I don't think it's you know, if you look at the numbers, I don't think it's really going to uh, have a big impact. And I think it, it creates a situation where, you know, how can we complain necessarily about uh, uh, closing our open primaries? If our folks are engaged in the in the in the behavior as well, I get the fact that that, that some people want to do it, and uh, and that's your right. And if that's what you want to do, I encourage you to do it. But our ultimately our primaries should be closed. I think that's the solution uh, to the problem. Thanks for uh, the call, Ferris. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk ninety four point five. 
morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. You're into the second bonus cup hour of uh, Saturday Morning Coffee. Hope you've got your second cup poured and are hanging with us for the balance of the show. We've got a guest uh, this hour, uh, Ashley Landis with the South Carolina Policy Council. will be joining us a little bit later on. Hospital food getting you down. Be a good time for a coronavirus update. Happily, it seems as though the uh, furor, the, the panic, it seemed, that was almost setting in for a time on the coronavirus, coronavirus front seems to be uh, mitigating somewhat, settling down. Of course, we've been through an awful week in the market, about uh, $6 trillion in equity valuation uh, disappeared across global markets in the last uh, six or seven sessions, I believe. Uh, $4 a trillion of that alone in the United States. So it's been a grueling a week for financial markets. And uh, hopefully uh, the markets will, I believe the markets will stabilize. The uh, current um, uh, uh, corona, the, the total uh, cases, and um, actually, and a matter of fact, we had uh, Tom Rice, Congressman Tom Rice was on the uh, program, uh, the Liz program on Friday. Gave us a very, um, gave us an update from Capitol Hill, and uh, it's uh, reassuring, and he, he pointed out, you know, that the, the actual number of cases in uh, the U.S. Are actually, is actually quite low. Yep. Um, the number of cases in China, uh, very high, um, and, um, and uh, let's see, what have I got for China? China confirmed cases now stands at 79,401. And uh, the deaths in China are 2,837. Of course, we're hearing that the, um, I read some interesting articles uh, this week that continue to assess the uh, situation in China as being dramatically underreported. The official numbers, uh, I think, the, uh, for the U.S. is now at 63 confirmed cases. Quite a few cases popping up in Europe. Uh, we've got some cases in Australia. There are now uh, significantly nine cases in Canada, and we have two cases reported in Mexico. So uh, also Iran now becoming a hotspot for uh, the outbreak. 245 cases reported there with 26 deaths, which is... Very interesting uh, because the mortality rate there is significantly higher than what is being being reported uh, elsewhere. So uh, that is a, a little bit of a, a mystery and some concern. There was an article that was uh, in the um, uh, uh, New York Times. Uh, actually, this is NBC News. A uh, couple of cases that have now been reported. Uh, three confirmed presumptive cases of coronavirus, coronavirus COVID-19 now contracted in the U.S. from unknown sources. So that's a concern, getting what are considered to be on the West Coast. This is all on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California, cases that are considered to be uh, unknown origin. So they don't know exactly uh, where the transmission point was. The rest of the cases in the U.S., for the most part, uh, the vast majority of the cases in the U.S. had been and still are attributable to the uh, Crown Princes, the cruise ship, where they had the outbreak on board. But now we're getting cases that they don't know exactly where 
the uh, source of the infection is. The case in Washington State involves high school student. A high school student health official said the student is said to be doing well, did not attend classes after developing uh, symptoms earlier this week. There was no travel history associated with this case. They're talking about still under investigation. Um, the uh, other uh, cases in also involve um, uh, what's called community transmission, which is just uh, unascertained uh, transmission uh, to the patient from the surroundings. Um, and so we're trying to figure out, the, the officials are trying to figure out where those cases uh, uh, are, are originating, but again, there's uh, uh, cases reported in Washington State, Oregon, and California. Now, on, California was the on first Friday. one, right, in the United States that they don't know where it they don't know. originated. Yeah. Yeah. Happens yeah. to be in Pelosi's neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, I think you've got a, uh, the politics continue on on the coronavirus front. Um, and uh, oh, one last thing on the market. I think the markets will stabilize. And yeah, actually, it, it looks like it's going to be a real buying opportunity. Yeah. So if you want to go pick up some bargains in the stock market, uh, might be a good time to uh, to uh, open up your portfolio a little bit. The uh, politics continue, though. Uh, Pelosi, of course, uh, had an interesting comment about the president mm-hmm. and the response to the uh, outbreak. Uh, have you got that clip, Mr. Producer? Right over here, folks. Thank you. Honor the ropes, please. The Senate has a proposal. We'll have something similar, which um, addresses the need for the professionals to be in place. The president let go a couple of years ago, never replaced them. This is shameful. Uh, Puts forth a proposal now that is meager, anemic, in terms of addressing. uh, With Ebola, we did $5 billion. Now they're trying to take the Ebola money and spend it here. That's what it's there for? What he's doing is... Late, too late, anemic. Hopefully, we can make up for the loss of time. But it'll have to have the professionals in place, the resources that are adequate, and, and not uh, be giving, using scare tactics about people coming back uh, to our country. Isn't that amazing? Un- unbelievable. Uh, it's it's really unbelievable. But yes, not surprising. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, but not surprising that Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats continue uh, to play politics with the uh, coronavirus yeah. outbreak. And, you know, frankly, there were various tweets from the left and from various members of Congress and from journalists on the left uh, almost giddy about yeah. the, the collapse of the stock market and the fears over coronavirus because anything, anything, y'all, that they can translate into potential weakness mm-hmm. or strategic advantage over the president they're happy about yeah. i mean it's it's insanity it's yep. it's a, it is trunch trump trump derangement syndrome yeah I, I like that i saw that last night trump derangement syndrome yeah right? and um, it is uh it is uh truly uh alive and well it continues we have not extinguished it um the climbers uh interestingly enough checking in with a uh question about the flu you know that you can pass away from plain old garden variety uh, influenza, the, the flu, sure. the mortality rate for the plain flu is significantly less, though. Most of the most of the ca- the countries where we're seeing uh, coronavirus outbreaks, the mortality rate is somewhere between two and three percent, usually about two point three percent. And on the, uh, you know, the traditional flu, you got a point zero one percent mortality rate. So you have a, a much lower um, you know, uh, a serious uh, amount of serious complications uh, out of a given, you know, if a thousand people get the flu, you know, one person will pass away on average, um, much higher for the coronavirus. 
but uh, it's uh, still not as significant in terms of a mortality rate in, in, in comparison to other, um, other, other diseases that we've had. For instance, SARS had a much higher mortality rate than, uh, than coronavirus, but it wasn't as, as, as uh, uh, transmissive. It wasn't as, as contagious as the coronavirus is. So uh, we have got Ashley Landis. She's on the line. She'll be joining us uh, after the break. We'll be talking about some things going on in Columbia in the state capitol, uh, talking about Santee Cooper and some other issues that she's got to share with us from the uh, South Carolina Policy Council. So stick with us. We'll be right back with uh, more Saturday morning coffee and Ashley Landis right after these words from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Don't leave town. We're going to walk it out and Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours, full hours on Talk 94.5. One, two, three. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Thank you all for sticking with us as we um, get through the second bonus cup hour of Saturday Morning Coffee. Uh, we joined here in, this, in on the line. We want to talk with uh, a friend of mine, Ashley Landis. Ashley is the executive director of the South Carolina Policy Council. Don't know if you guys are familiar with the work of the Policy Council, but they are an important organization here in the state and they're in Columbia and they work closely with the legislature and in uh, developing uh, solutions to the policy issues that we face and keeping tabs on what your government is up to. South Carolina Policy Council was founded in 1986 as an independent, private, nonpartisan research organization. The objective of the Policy Council is to promote the principles of limited government, free enterprise, and individual liberty and responsibility for all of South Carolina. The executive director is Ashley Landis. Ashley is uh, joining us now on the air via the magic of telephone. Ashley, are you with us? I am. Very good. good. And you sound great. We had some technical we had some technical issues there for a moment, I think, but I'm glad you're uh, you're with us. Um, Ashley, I, you and I have known each other for a while. Thanks for joining us all here on Saturday Morning Coffee. I, I'm trying to remember exactly when you and I met, but I, I have been following the work of of the South Carolina Policy Council for years. I mean, I I remember following the Policy Council when the uh, director was Ed McMullen. And so wow. that's uh, that's going back a ways. And, it um, sure is. Yeah. Ed, Ed's now the uh, ambassador to Switzerland for uh, Donald Trump for the United States of America. So uh, good for him. Um, but we want to talk today about the Policy Council, Ashley. There's a lot, obviously, uh, understatement of, uh, of the day. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in Colombia. And uh, I uh, 
and I'm sure our listeners, if they if they know about you, appreciate the work of the Policy Council. A couple of things that we've you and I've talked about recently are the are the uh, the ongoing saga of Santee Cooper. And, uh, you know, the the big picture is how our state got in the power generation business to begin with. But, of course, we're all I think by now we've heard about the uh, sort of the nuclear uh, disaster at uh, Jenkinsville, the the construction boondoggle, not a nuclear uh, accident, but the disaster with the construction of a planned uh, nuclear facility there. Uh, at Jenkinsville, and uh, which was a joint venture between uh, SCENG and Santee Cooper. And of course, uh, that project was failed, uh, but left both utilities in a very difficult position, left Santee Cooper with uh, quite a bit of uh, billions of debt uh, on the books. And then they had quite a bit of debt uh, on the books already, but um, the the project there added several billion more debt on their books. So we've got a problem with Santee Cooper. That's going to be one of the uh, big issues that the legislature has to sort out um, this year. And uh, we recently had a report issued by the uh, Department of Administration. Uh, you and I have talked about that. I think there's some issues about how that report was produced. But we wanted to hear from you and the Policy Council on how you guys have been following this, and can you give us an update from your perspective on on what's happening and and where we are with Santee Cooper and and what you guys have learned as a result of your investigations? Sure. Well, first of all, we are going through the report right now, Reese. It's taken us a little bit just to make sure that we get through everything, and trust me, this is complicated stuff and deliberately so. And that's part of the problem with hiring a bunch of experts and having a process that is largely in secret. You know, the procurement laws that apply to most transactions between the government looking at selling assets or hiring contractors, etc., those go through a procurement process, which may not be perfect, but it is spelled out in state law. In this case, in the case of the Santee Cooper Options Report, mm-hmm. you know, this was... M- the procurement rules were pretty much thrown out the window here. Yeah. And, so and they, Ashley, if I can interrupt you for just one second, let's give our listeners a little bit of background. I think the report you're referring to is the report that was, and and our listeners, I think, understand this, but this problem has been percolating for years. Uh, and the report that you're referring to was the report that was finally issued by the Department of Administration, which is an, mm-hmm. which is an arm of, of state government. I don't really know if you would classify that as an independent branch or an executive branch or, or <laughs> exactly what you would call it, but it's a branch of state government. Yeah. Um, and they have in there, I think, f- basically outlined three recommendations. Uh, you might want to touch on that. One is to sell sure. San- one is to sell San- one option is to sell Santee Cooper. Um, I think there's a company called Next Era that that has the the sort of the we'll call the the, the lead position there. Um, as the interested, the sort of uh, the lead bidder. Then there's the idea that we would let somebody like Dominion Energy, Dominion bought SCE&G, of course, after all this, Dominion come in and manage Santee Cooper for the state. And then, of course, the the last option, the third option is that uh, there are those within Santee Cooper that say, hey, we can reform ourselves and you guys can continue to own us. The state can stay in the business of generating power and everything will be okay. So uh, with that little bit of background, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. just wanted to make sure our listeners understood what report we were talking about. Absolutely. It's, you know, so many 
it's hard to keep track, to be honest, of all of the studies and hearings and, you know, pushing through all of these things that are going on with this VC summer. And again, to remind everyone, this all is happening because of the complete tanking of the VC summer project that you were referring to, Reese, this nuclear project, the mm-hmm. state in this, you know, building nuclear facilities, and which no one had done for 30 years, and somehow we were going to do it here in South Carolina. So the whole thing was ill-advised to begin with. The whole fiasco could have been predicted, really, had we, you know, all just kind of known what was going on or been paying attention, really. So this, is, this has been years of leading up to this place. Now, I do want to say one thing I think that's, that's worth pointing out legislators kind of play off as if they're completely ignorant of all of the problems over there, right? As if they had no idea that this VC summer mess was falling apart. They were shocked and appalled and everybody dragged through these hearings. But I want to remind everyone, it's the South Carolina legislature, specifically the legislative leadership that has 100% control over the regulation of, you know, the investor-owned utilities, like it was Scana at the time, mm-hmm. now, and Duke Energy. So this whole nuclear plant, the whole Jenkinsville thing, this was all done with legislators having the oversight power. So they should have known what was going on. There's literally, if you're a Scana customer a Dominion now, sorry, or a Duke customer, you know, you the only people you can hold accountable for your utility bill, legislators, that's it. Now, if you are a Santee Cooper customer, co-ops are ultimately Santee Cooper customers, then you've got Santee Cooper, and who do you hold accountable there? Well, there's a board that doesn't actually work for you, right? And mm-hmm. you've got the governor who does the nominating, but ultimately... It's, it's legislators, right? They're the ones who have the final say, really, on who sits on that board. Just So you've got a mess of a situation to yeah. begin with, and then this report is issued. And they do these reports a lot. Reese, how many of these reports, these studies, these sort of you know committees have come together to study issues? How, how many of those have we seen over the years? Absolutely, this, many. Right. This is how they deal with problems instead of addressing them the way they should. But this particular report, the Department of Administration is supposed to be under the governor, but the legislature bypassed the governor entirely and tasked the Department of Administration with coming up with this with the help of the staff of what used to be the Budget and Control Board, now the State Fiscal Affairs Authority, which, of course, has some very powerful legislative leaders on the board, including Senate Finance Chairman Hugh Leatherman. Mm-hmm. So they made sure their staff was involved in this. And they really shut the door on this whole process. And, and you, you were mentioning earlier that there was concern about procurement. Can you, can you explain what yeah. procurement yeah. shortcuts may have been made and, and where the concerns are there? Well, first of all, let, let me say this. This idea of three options being presented. Look, either we need to address selling Santee Cooper 
I don't know what other information we really needed in order to reach that conclusion, but that should have been the job of the executive branch to determine. And as far as reforming Santee Cooper, Reese, we paid a lot of consultants to come in on this report and issue, you know, some very weak reform ideas in the first place. And then there's this idea of managing Santee Cooper, you know, so now we have an unaccountable private company managing, but we still have it as a state agency, mm-hmm. right? So really, none of these solutions should have been a study to the degree they were anyway. And apparently we, if we go, and particularly if we go the sale route, we still owe some of these consultants quite a bit of money. Um, Quite a and, bit of money. Yeah, and I want to talk about that a little bit more. Ashley, can you stick with us through a break? We'll be uh, sure. we'll be back in just a few minutes. Uh, we've got some uh, messages from our sponsors, folks. We'll stick with us. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee and more with Ashley Landis from the South Carolina Policy Council. Right after these words, don't leave town. I'll reach my hands out in the dark and wait for us to Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Little chilly out there this morning. Uh, temperatures will rise to 52 and sunny today. You can expect 53 and sunny tomorrow. In traffic, be careful around Barefoot Landing. Got a marathon going on, and a lot of people will be out there running a 5K today. Now, back to Saturday Morning Coffee with Reese Boyd. Thank you, Glenn. Welcome back, folks, to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. We're talking to Ashley Landis this morning. Ashley is the director of the South Carolina Policy Council. We're talking about Santee Cooper and how the state got into the power business and the problems that we now have with uh, with Santee Cooper and what to do with it. And um, we're talking about the options that were laid out, Ashley, in the, in the report that has just been released this month, which you guys are still uh, digesting and going through a uh, report from the Department of Administration and some of the questions that, have, that you guys are raising that are being raised about how the report was uh, drafted and, and the manner in which it has been put together and the, the, the whole way the process is working. Take a moment, if you would, if you can, actually, how big is the problem? What, what is the, you know, what is the big picture? I mean, I, we all hear about, you know, $4 billion for this power plant and, and $8 billion in total liabilities and various numbers get thrown around, but what is the real problem that we have to solve here with Santee Cooper? You know, first of all, that's, that is the question. And unfortunately, there's not an easy answer, Reese, largely, because we don't know the extent of the problem. And that's because so much of what's gone on over at Santee Cooper, and especially with this D.C. summer project, we're not aware of. You know, this whole process that, that was done, and, and I want to say a word about this report. I, I would hate for people to think, oh, this report is going to give us the solutions. We just have to make sure we understand them all. No. Quite frankly, this report, this entire process, was not only not necessary, but I'll go out on the limb here, Reese, and, and give you my opinion for a second. This stuff feels suspiciously like stalling during an election year the political pain that is absolutely inevitable from this entire mess. And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
we want a real quick fix on this, but here's the truth. We're talking billions, billions, billions of dollars. Santi Cooper carries the, by far, highest debt load of any state agency, and it's, it's huge. So I, I would say with interest, I think we estimated at one point around $14 billion. Mm-hmm. And that's not just going to go away. I think right now what you see is a process by which lawmakers, legislative leadership in particular, trying to stall the pain. They, they mm-hmm. don't want everybody to really see how bad the problem is. Yeah, it, it's almost you get the feeling that people in Columbia and the folks in the legislature almost do not want, you know, the folks, the man on the street, the average guy, the average gal on the street to realize just how significant this problem is. Um but that's not a solution. Not knowing what we're up against is not right. is is not an answer. It doesn't solve anything. You know, one of the things talking about the complexity of the problem that I was just astonished by, you know, this is not a new thing. This pro- this problem has been percolating as we've discussed for for several years now. And there were there've been many special, you know, hearings, special committees. There was a there was a special uh, Senate, uh, I think, select committee that was set up to uh, examine this problem and take testimony. Right. And one of the things that I personally was just astonished by, and this was just this was not recently, but it was within the last several months. I, it was a, it was about uh, you know spring of 2019. This had been going on well long enough for Santee Cooper's upper management to have sort of their arms around this. And they were asked some fairly basic questions. The the then CEO and the then CFO of Santee Cooper may still be the CFO, I'm not sure, but they were asked, the senior uh, leadership team, Santee Cooper, were asked by, you know, Senator Setzler and some other senators that were on this committee, how much of a bite are we taking out of rate payers and how much, is it, how much will you guys have to raise rates and over what period of time to fix this problem? And... They couldn't even hazard a guess. It was it was really bizarre, the questions that they could not answer. And I thought to myself, I watched the testimony uh, online. I watched it live, and I was just astonished. If I had ever seen clear evidence that that the South Carolina does not need to be in the power business, that was it. And and it was you know making the case for you know the fact that we should have never been in this predicament to begin with. Well, no question about it. And you know the. The management at Santee Cooper is bad enough, but what I found so disturbing was a lot of the people, most of the people, who sat on these, you know, oversight committees that dragged all these executives from Scana to Santee Cooper, Reese, they were the same people, same lawmakers who have had complete control over the regulatory system and over this project. So these are the people whose job it was ultimately to know exactly what was going on over there. And the fact that they were the ones sitting up there demanding answers, if they had paid attention to what was happening over there in the first place, and again, it was their ultimate responsibility to do that, we might not be in this mess. So that was really in a lot of ways almost it felt like a show you know, the, the shock and outrage coming from these legislative leaders as if they knew none of this. Yeah, we're shocked. Shocked to find, shocked shocked to find right. gambling going on at Rick's. 
Right. <laughs> That's right. Right. And this is, <laughs> this is exactly the same thing. So that, that was very problematic right there. But the fact that these executives, so to speak, of Santee Cooper, who, by the way, are, are put in there, and because of the power structure here, these folks take their orders. M- most state agencies take their orders from, from legislative leaders, Reese. That's who runs the show here. And I, and I keep making sure that I say that over and over because I want people to understand who it is they can hold accountable for what's happening with their electric bills. Because Santee Cooper customers are going to see a rate increase. I don't think there's any question of that. Mm-hmm. It's just when and how much. There's no avoiding that. Well, it, we're talking about a great deal of money. And if you look at the number of customers, that it's a significant amount of money, even for each individual uh, household. I've seen you know, estimates uh, that, that run into the thousands of dollars per household. And so right. it's, it's not an insignificant, but again, finding a good number that you can trust. What, what do you, or does the policy council, do you have any thoughts on what you think is actually going to happen or even, perhaps even better what you think should happen? Right. Well, first of all, I, I just want to say one other thing about this report. The, yeah. the bids in here, if you really look over in a nutshell and particularly the offer you know, the bid process here for what it would look like to buy Santee Cooper. And you have this company, Nextera, which has come in. And again, no idea how this process worked or who submitted bids, what the criteria were for choosing this company. But they recommended this proposal. It's full of things like rate guarantees. They actually want legislation changed. In other words, it's suspiciously like the Base Load Review Act all over again. So I, I, I want contrib- to contributed mightily to this problem to begin with, correct? It was absolutely. That was the core problem right there. Was the legislature passed a law basically guaranteeing the debt of Scana, and of course the Santee Cooper debt's already guaranteed. But there are a lot of problems we're seeing on the horizon, not the least of which is how lawmakers are already talking about putting some of the Santee Cooper burden across on the tax base as a whole. So everybody who's already paying for their utility, you know, mess here and down here in the Midlands, for example, and up in the upstate, you're going to be looking at paying some of that, but that won't spare Santee Cooper ratepayers any of the pain. What, what needs to happen, and this is real basic stuff here, the first thing, it's first things first, Reese. We have to pull back and examine if we're serious about selling Santee Cooper. And quite honestly, I question whether legislators really are serious, at least at the leadership level. Do they really want to sell Santee Cooper, or is this just a process that they went through, you know, to placate really the ratepayers and taxpayers? But what, what should happen is real simple. There's an advisory board that already exists. It's made up of the executive branch from the governor to controller general, the attorney general, the treasurer, the secretary of state. They have some oversight authority. That's who needs to come in and take this entire process over. The people who made the mess should not be in charge of supposedly cleaning it up. So you've got to have some oversight here. But that doesn't mean we hire a bunch of experts. Yeah. We want people who are accountable statewide. These yeah. 
these guys already have some authority. They need to come in and do it. We need a full audit of Santee Cooper, and that means every single deal, every economic development contract. And folks, we need a moratorium on any new spending over there. We got to slow things down and, and have a look at what's going on there the same way you would in any private sector proposed sale. And then let the public have a look at what the mess really is. Yeah. We can decide what we, as the owners of Santee Cooper, taxpayer owners, we can then decide what do we want? What's the best way to spare us as much pain as possible? Well, Ashley, I want to thank you for giving us your time today. And I'll uh, be sending folks to the South Carolina Policy Council website. Thanks for chiming in. It's a complex problem. We're not going to fix it overnight. But thank you for sharing uh, your insights with us. And we'll be checking in with you again as you continue your work on this subject and, and re- release a more definitive report. But thanks for, thanks for your time today. Always appreciate it. And uh, have a great Saturday, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Folks, stick with us. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. everybody welcome back to another episode of saturday morning coffee you've almost made it through the second cup hour thanks for sticking with us i want to thank ashley landis from the south carolina policy council for uh sharing with us her insights on the current situation with santee cooper and the report that has been released this month by the department of administration uh, regarding what to do about the problem and what to do specifically with Santee Cooper. And as uh, we were talking just before the break, as Ashley was uh, alluding to, I, you know, this to me is essentially a legislative problem. Um, there's a, you know, the judiciary really hadn't had much to do, if anything, with Santee Cooper. The executive is more or less out of the, out of the not totally, but somewhat out of the picture. And the problem in you know, my opinion as your host, one man's humble opinion, take this and $3 and go get a cup of coffee. But it is a problem when the legislature makes so many uh, large scale structural decisions within state government because the accountability just isn't there. You heard Ashley Landis allude to a few legislative leaders who are essentially making the decisions and that they've taken much of the process behind closed doors. There's a lot of discussion now about how the procurement process was ignored. Folks, why do we have a procurement process? This is the biggest problem to come down the the, the pike in state government in years, if not decades. And so in dealing with this problem, we're going to suspend all our normal rules, all our normal procurement procedures. And folks are talking about, you know, this... uh, Gibson Dunn Crutcher, this law firm in Los Angeles, getting paid millions of dollars as a success fee for uh, selling Santee Cooper if it's sold. There's all kind of uh, political, uh, you know, uh, 
dealing and, and horse trading going on. And the interesting thing is, ultimately, why do I say the accountability isn't there? The accountability isn't there because if the decisions are made by a handful of, of, of legislative leaders, those are not people that you, generally speaking, have an opportunity to vote for. These are people that are generally, um, there's one uh, Senate district or two Senate districts or maybe three Senate districts, maybe a handful of House districts across the entire state where folks get to vote on the individuals who are pulling these strings. The rest of us are left out in the cold without any real input into how these folks are doing their job or not. So ultimately, the in my opinion, this is more of an executive uh branch function the executive the governor uh, governor mcmaster and and his team need to have more of a role uh, you heard ashley suggest that i i agree they need to have more of a role in how this decision is made the outcome of uh, this determination of whether we should sell santi cooper and to whom and what should what consultants should be paid as part of that process and how much they should be paid if we sell and alternatively, if we hire somebody to manage Santee Cooper for us, how does that, you know, how does that solution play itself out? And thirdly, if you allow Santee Cooper to attempt to reform itself, that doesn't seem to me to be a very realistic uh, option. But if that's the decision, then how will that play itself out? You know, it's interesting when government does things, we know we don't have to ask when government does things. It never does things as well or equally as uh, anywhere close to the level of efficiency and accountability that you find uh, in the, on the private side of the aisle. You know, when, when government gets into, um, you know, when government gets into the automotive business, you get uh, the Yugo. When government gets into the uh, uh, insurance business, you get the NFIP. Uh, when government gets into uh, the travel business, you get Air South. How many of you remember Air South? That was a real success. And so government, I don't know why we have to keep saying these things. You have Republican elected officials who profess allegiance to these ideals, but government should stick to doing those critical government functions that government necessarily does best because only government can do. Government should do what it has to do, but beyond that, the government which governs best is the government which governs least. This is not rocket science. And no, theoretically, we don't need to be in the power generation business. We don't need to be in the airline business, and, and we don't need to be in any other business that we don't absolutely critically, uh, without question, have to be in. And so it'll be very interesting to see how this sorts itself out. There were some other um issues that I wanted to uh, get to with Ashley, you know, there's uh, uh, the, the uh, and you can find Policy Council on the web. The uh, website is scpolicycouncil.org. And they also have a publication called The Nerve. I encourage you guys to uh, sign up for updates from The Nerve. That is uh, thenerve.org, also very informative. And the stuff that they dig into will shock you at times. It will, uh, it will definitely enlighten you and you need to know uh, what your government is up to. And thanks to the uh, work of the Policy Council and the, and the, and the items published uh, at the Nerve.org website, uh, you can help, uh, you know, you can help to inform yourself about what's going on in Columbia, what your legislators are up to. And yes, uh, we are in a state that is uh, a legislative state. And if we really want to make progress on Santee Cooper and a lot of issues, I think we've got to send uh, to the legislature folks who are willing to yield 
uh, more power to the executive. I think uh, there are lots of structural improvements that still need to be made uh, in reforming the legislative state, and that's effectively what we are, and the General Assembly has to play ball. One of the things uh, uh, with that, one of the things that the uh, NERV and the folks at the Policy Council have been tracking are uh, folks in the uh, state government who make $100,000 or more. One of the things they most recently uh, uh, wrote about were the number of uh, $100,000 employees, people who make $100,000 or more annually at Santee Cooper. So the number there, in spite of all the negative developments at Santee Cooper, the folks uh, at Santee Cooper who make in excess of $100,000 annually has been growing significantly, and I would remind you guys that the average, the median family income in South Carolina, the median family income, not individual income, is approximately fifty between fifty and fifty-one thousand dollars. So we're talking about uh, individual government employees who are making significantly more than the median family income in your state. Interestingly enough, the uh, current CEO, Mark Bonzel of Santee Cooper, now making $1.16 million annually. He has a transportation allowance, car allowance, and some other um, uh, 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 perks. Uh, the deputy CEO makes 618000 There's a CFO who makes uh, nearly 500000 So there are quite a few employees who make more than $100,000 annually. And folks, this is your money that's being spent. Interestingly enough, we haven't really talked about it, but uh, lawmakers recently uh, okayed uh, a pay raise for the state transportation secretary. That salary increase took took effect immediately, and her uh, her salary uh, was uh, increased from $190,944 to $251,000. 232. So, you know, there's a budget surplus in Columbia. And I think what's happening is a lot of these folks are getting big pay raises. And we don't know exactly where uh, the future uh, will take us uh, from a fiscal perspective. And so my concern is we're going to have a whole cadre. Uh, But the nerve tracks uh, the nerve in the South Carolina Policy Council track the number of folks who are making $100,000 or more. And that number has been growing significantly. And we need to be wary of that. Uh, that's a significant problem because those folks, uh, the number doesn't shrink. It just continues uh, to grow. And so it's up to our uh, legislators and it's up to you guys uh, to keep an eye on the growth of uh, those highly compensated uh, state government employees. And there's plenty of folks who, uh, who work for the governor who make significantly more than the governor. And uh, a, lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting issues raised there. We'll talk more about that. But that's an issue that the Policy Council tracks. I encourage you guys to keep up with them, support them. And let me leave you with this bit of wisdom uh, from the Proverbs. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Y'all have a blessed Saturday. We'll be back next week with more Saturday Morning Coffee. It's a grand sale this February at Seaside Furniture Gallery and Accents, your best of the Grand Strand Furniture Mattress and Design Center store. With grand savings of 25% off our everyday low pricing on all in-store furniture. That's 25% off.